have to say this to you. We have a different group of people that come in here every Sunday. It's not the same people no matter what. But you have the same characteristics. I'm going to let you know who are... And some of you, you don't have to raise your hand when I get to you, okay? But when I'm saying, I'm going to tell you who everybody is here. In our church, on each Sunday, there are some people that are just passing through. Passing through means that they're maybe they're visiting family and the family brought them here. Maybe they have a temporary job. You know, sometimes we've had people that were here, sometimes even for three or four months, but they're temporarily here. Mostly, it's somebody here for three weeks or four weeks, even two weeks. They need a place to worship. They come here, and so they're passing through. They're here for a short time. Even some people come on vacation, not this time of year, but certainly people come on vacation, and they're here. They're just passing through. Then there are some people who are checking us out. And so they're looking for a new church. And some people are saying, I don't want what I had in my last church. Whatever it was, I want it to be different from what I had in my last church. And that's what happens with a lot of people. They're going through that. Then there's another group of people. Maybe they moved into the area and they're looking for, I want a church just like I had in my last church. And so they're looking for that. Some people come in with a yardstick. A yardstick meaning that they have this, you, you've got to be able to do this and this and this and this. And what I'd really like to say to all of you that are checking us out, would you just let the Holy Spirit take control for a little bit? Could you just come or not come because the, the Holy Spirit would lead you and what you need to do? Uh, not waiting to see if you like the preacher's sermon or, or whether you like the music or whatever else you like. But let the Holy Spirit just come in. So this is where I would, I would go with you. Next group. Some are permanent residents. I call them that. Permanent resident, residents. They're people that have never joined our church, but they come every week. They have been here for so long, everybody thinks you're a member. So you will surprise them if you walk down the aisle today. If you want to see a couple of people have a heart attack, that would do it. You know, because I'm trying to say, they'll say, why did you walk down the aisle? You're already a member. I've heard that said before when somebody finally does that. But you're kind of a, and I'm glad to have you. I'm, I'm not, I'm not throwing any rocks at you or anything else. I'm just saying I'm glad to have you. And then there are some members who are regularly here. You see, you sit in the exact same seat every week. And at the same point in my sermon, you fall asleep every week. You know, exactly, I know. But I'm glad you're here. I mean, even though you don't know when we end. But anyway, so, uh, and then some people are very excited to worship. They raise their hands and they physically somehow enter into worship. And they wonder why everybody else isn't doing the very same thing. And then we have those, some members, and I'm not offending any of them today, because you're not any of those. Those are the people that come on such an occasion. It's got to be an occasion for them to come. Those occasions usually Christmas and Easter. We're glad to have them at Christmas and Easter, but that's when they're going to be here. They either come at Christmas and Easter, and there is one other time they come when they don't have anything better to do. Or maybe they've got a new dress or a new something and they want to show it off. But that's, that's it. But every one of us has a clock on us. You realize that? Every one of us has a clock on us. I don't care what your age is. I don't care what your lifestyle is. Is that we are all marching to eternity. Not one of us is going to avoid that. We are marching to eternity. It's like a candle and it has a wick. And none of us know how long our wick is. You understand what I'm saying? It's burning. 
It's burning, and we just don't have any idea how long it's going to be. And some of us, quite frankly, don't have much wick left, but we don't know it. We don't know it because it's not about your age. I will tell you that, folks. I have done funerals for children. I don't like doing them. I've done them for babies. I don't like doing them. But what I'm trying to say to you is it's not age that determines when your wick is going to burn out. That's the way it is. But when those people are gone, some will be missed. I want to say it to you very frankly. Some will be missed. You were vital to the church. You were absolutely vital to the church. And some, we may not know you were gone. And it's not the ones that are here today, because I can tell you the situation. It's those people who haven't come, and it's those occasional people that come at Christmas and Easter, and we didn't even know they passed away when they passed away. We couldn't have missed them, because we didn't know they were gone in the first place. And they were not vital because they didn't make a difference when they were here. They made no difference. And so if we had a consultant... And that consultant had been working with our church. They worked from a distance, but they had been working with our church. And in the process, they met some of you uh, that maybe you were at conferences or something where they were. And that that consultant met uh, you at those conferences. Who would that consultant write a letter and say, I want you to greet so-and-so. I want you to say hi to so-and-so. I believe he or she would make a point of greeting each person who is making a difference. Let's see who Paul greets in Romans chapter 16, verse 6. And by the way, I should have had you have cards out there. And after I pronounce all of these names, you should have graded me, you know, with the 1 through 10, you know, because there's a lot of names here. Okay. Verse 6, greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Statius. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Philagon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with him. Greet Philologus. Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. These are the people that Paul will greet. And I've, I've, I've gone through this total list. There's about 26 people altogether. You know, and, and it's hard to say that because it's going to be the family of and the family of. And you understand, you can't really know how many people that was in there. But I'm taking a little bit of a guess at the same time. There were nine of them that were women. And I'm going to say this to you again, just simply because I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. Women were frequently mentioned in this whole list here. You've got women frequently listed. These are, remember, people that have made a difference. These are people that are making a difference in this church. 
So the sex of the person did not disqualify a person for significant service to the Lord. That's absolutely the truth. It's always been the truth. I was interviewed by, by a church a long time ago. And they said, do you believe women should be deacons? I said, every Baptist church has women deacons. Just they, some choose not to ordain them. That is really the truth. Because the word is servant. And women have been, been great servants and been great uh, uh, teachers and things like that in the church for, for a very long time. Paul's own writings testify the value of man and woman. It says in Galatians chapter 3 verse 38, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. For a long time I always thought that verse just was talking about salvation alone, but as I looked at the rest of the Bible, and I'll talk to you more about that all the time, you gotta take the whole of the Bible within your understanding of the of the scripture, I realized that the spiritual gifts are not distinctive to male or female. That means that a woman could be a prophet. Absolutely. Could get the could get the gift of prophecy. Could we say a woman has a gift of prophecy and we wouldn't let her say anything? So a lot of times what happens with us, that we have made our doctrines out of pieces of Scripture rather than the whole of Scripture. And what we must do, we must be careful to adhere to the Bible. I want you to hear this. I do not hold, I hold the Bible in, in highest regard. I do not put the Bible down in any way. I do not try to say that I have more sense than the Bible has. But what I have to do is is that I have to pick the whole of the Bible. I always are going to have to do that. I always have to take the whole of the Bible. If I didn't do that, I might take 1 Corinthians 15, 29, try to make a doctrine out of it. Let me read it to you. It says in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 29, Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Now, I've read a lot of commentaries on this scripture, and I have translated it myself over and over again, trying to understand what it means. And I will tell you that the the easiest reading of it, and that really is the way to read the, uh, the scripture when you're trying to translate it, the best, smoothest translation you can make, it is saying that people are vicariously being baptized for dead people. There is not one other place in this entire Bible that it tells us something like that. Should we make a doctrine out of that? The answer is absolutely not. What we do have to come to is a conclusion. We don't understand. Is that okay? Yes, it is. But I'm not going to make a doctrine out of it when I don't understand it in the first place. So there's no reason for us to make a doctrine. But what I can say from the entirety of the scripture, gender does not make anyone effective or ineffective in the Christian church. I can say that with an absolute conclusion. So let's look at some of these people other than the women that were mentioned. There were those mentioned even though they were slaves. So that the social standing did not matter in the church. How many of these were slaves? Given their names and their association with families, let me give you the number, give you the names of them. The household of Aristobulus, the family of Narcissus, Tryphena, and Tryphosa. They were probably twins. You realize that? Because you know how parents, they have twins, they name them a, a name that sounds alike, Tryphena, Tryphosa. It, it, they mean dainty and delicate. You can, that sounds like twins, I don't know. But anyway, I don't, I'm not sure of that, but it sure does sound like it to me. And so, uh, Philologus, Ampliatus, 
Urbanus, Statius, Herodian, and Persis. These are all slaves. That's a pretty significant number of people there that are slaves. He's mentioning them. So yet the church today, unfortunately, is hindered by placing wealthy in places of position simply because they're wealthy. And I'm going to tell you, it is not sinful to have money. I'm going to tell you that up front. It's not sinful to have money. But it it is sinful to give privilege in the church because of money. You know, we cannot start saying, you know what, we're going to, this, this so-and-so over here, he's got a lot of money. We need to put him, we need to make him a deacon right away. We need to go over here, we got, we got to put him in a great position. No, that's not what we need to do. In fact, James spoke about that. In James chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or you sit at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom of God, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? You see what it says there? God has chosen the poor in the world to be rich in the faith. Why is that? Because if we're going to walk with the Lord, we've got to walk with Him in humility. There is no other way to walk with the Lord. And a lot of people, when they get wealthy, what they do is, is they say, I don't need the Lord anymore. I can walk any way I want to. And you cannot walk with the Lord that way. Now, it doesn't mean that a rich person can't be humble. But a rich person must be humble if they're going to be walking with the Lord. So I hope and pray that no one in this church evaluates whether you can serve or whether we value you based on how much money we think you have. I've heard that before. You've got to go after that person. they got a lot of money. You better go after that person. See, I hope also that no one who is wealthy think, thinks that they're going to get a special privilege because of that money either. See, I realize that in church growth, it says that homogeneous churches grow faster than heterogeneous churches. What that means is when the people are exactly alike, then what they'll grow faster because they go out and they reach people that are just like them. I understand that. That's what the church growth people tell us. But that's not what I want. I mean, beyond what I... I'm going to tell you something, folks. I would like to see the Spirit of the Lord so strong in this church that we will be black and white and rich and poor and Asian and Native American and every other color or nationality. And I would like to even have every football team rooted for. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? Everybody. Because if we can't get along with each other here, how are we going to get along with each other in heaven? How are we going to be there with people that they're not just exactly like us? I understand. Say, so we've got to be that. When I was in Lubbock, our church tried to reach the community that the church was in, that the community had changed. See, but our church had not. It still had a lot of wealthy people in it. And when we would go out and we would try to reach the people that were in our community, they would come in one time and then they would leave. And the reason was... 
And I bet the people in Lubbock, they surely didn't even know this. They didn't know it. They were dressed in really fine clothing. These people that came in, they didn't have really fine clothing. And while it's very subtle, have you ever seen somebody that you met and right away you knew that they were looking down on you? You know what I'm saying? Just suddenly, you know they're looking down on you. I think that that was something that very subtly the, the people in the church didn't know. Because these people would come in. They didn't know when to stand. They didn't know when to sit. They didn't know what to do when we were doing whatever. And it was obvious. And they would look over at them and just stare at them. And that was enough. They didn't want any of that. And so I believe that the major reason that people are afraid to come to church, even if you invite them, they're afraid they won't be dressed right. They're afraid they're going to do something wrong. And here's the thing, folks. That is why more people will come if you will say, will you sit with me in church? And the reason is, is because they need someone that they can lean on. That they can say, I feel confident that my friend, my person that, that invited me to church will tell me what to do and when to do it so that I don't look foolish in church. That's the way it needs to be. Let's go on with the other people there. There is one mention that was tried and proven faithful. Apelles is said to be approved in Christ. In fact, the New International Version actually has this translation better than, than the ESV. And that's hard for me to get, get there. English Standard Version is not as good as the, as the New International Version in this. It says the word translated approved is actually a word that means tested and approved. What does that mean? Well, it means that the person would have been tested. That is, that they were probably captured. They were tortured with the hope that they could get them to recant their faith in Christ. And Apelles simply would not do it. And when they realize they can't get you to do it, they probably just let you go. And he continues on. In the documentary movie, and you cannot get this online, but you can buy it pretty cheap. I bought a copy of it myself. It's, a, it's called The Insanity of God. A Russian pastor named Dmitri is held for 17 years in a prison with the worst of chemical, uh, criminals. What happened was, it's in, the, it's in the time of the Soviet Union. Christianity or any faith like that is pretty much illegal. Dmitri is thinking and, and trying to figure out how he's going to be able to, to share his faith with his sons. And so he goes to his wife and says, I was thinking that I will read the scriptures to our sons each day. And, and she basically said, I've been praying for years that you would do this. And so he begins reading the scriptures to his sons and his neighbors overhear it. And they say, can we come and let you read the scriptures and let us hear them too? And he said, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a pastor. I'm just reading the scripture. They said, you'll be our pastor, essentially. Well, I'll tell you, when you, he got to 60 to 70 people, the Soviets recognized it. They come and they arrest him. And they take him to a prison several hundred miles away with some of the, some of the hardest, meanest criminals that there ever would be. They throw him into his cell. And the first morning there... He faces the east, he raises his hand, and he sings his heart song to the Lord. The other prisoners cursed him. They screamed. 
They threw excrement at him. They did everything in order to get him to stop. Each time he would find a piece of paper and a little bit of a pencil, he would write down every scripture that he could remember. And because the cell walls were wet, he stuck it as high as he could reach upon the wall and he gave it as an offering to the Lord. And when the guards would come in, they would find this piece of paper, they would rip it down, they'd rip it up, and they would beat him. Each day that he would find one. Finally, he finds a really big piece of paper. He said it was of God. They would find such and a pencil laying right next to it. He takes it into his into his cell immediately runs back and he writes as many scriptures as he can remember. And he writes them up there and he puts them high up on the wall as an offering to God. You can guess what happened when the guards came in. They grab a hold of him and they they beat him and they've decided now now is the time to kill him. And so after 17 years, they start to drag him out. And there's a place out in the prison courtyard that they will publicly kill him. And as he's being dragged out, 1,500 prisoners start singing Dimitri's heart song. 1,500. These hardened criminals are now singing it. And you know what happened to the guards? They got scared. You know why they got scared? Because if you can't control those prisoners, there's 1,500 of them. There's not enough guards. Do you understand what's going on? And they looked at Dimitri and they said, Who are you? Who are you? And you know what they did? They let him go. They let him go because he was tested and approved. That's what happened with a palace. Then it says here, There is one mentioned who was chosen. Now that's an interesting little thing in there, isn't it? Rufus is said to be chosen by the Lord. Now, why would they say this? Why is Rufus so special and how he is the one who is chosen? Chosen by the Lord in such a way that nobody could deny. So let's look at the story. When Jesus could no longer carry his cross... It says in the scripture, the Romans conscripted someone called Simon of Cyrene to carry it out for him. Remember that story? It's in the Bible. It says he was a visitor in the area. He probably was no more than a spectator at the time. But he was chosen out of the crowd, what it appears like, for no special reason. That moment changed his life. Now, here's where I would go with this. How would the writers know who carried the cross of Jesus If Simon hadn't told them his name. And why would they know the name of Simon of Serene if he did not come to know the Lord himself? (laughs) And so he becomes a believer. And he's got two sons. Realize this. Mark 15, uh, 21. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Serene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexandra and Rufus, to carry the cross. Isn't that amazing? So, why would Mark have mentioned his two sons if they hadn't become believers? Do you understand? There's no reason to name them. And says, and this happened because it just so happened that Simon was there at the time that Jesus was carrying the cross and he was close enough when Jesus finally fell for the last time and he could not carry it any further. It just so happened that he had two sons. 
It just so happened that Simon becomes a believer. It just so happens that his two sons become believers. You know, you maybe I bet you got a story like that. I bet your story goes something like this, and it might start with it just so happened. But did it just so happen? See, it just so happened for me that I went on a retreat with a, with a Baptist and I wasn't Baptist. It just so happened that the theme of that retreat was telling people about Jesus Christ. It just so happened that I fell under conviction because of that. It just so happened that I gave my life to Christ. Oh, come on, folks. Did it just so happen? Or did God come get me? That's what happens, folks. It doesn't just so happen. And I bet you got a story. There isn't just so happened. You maybe it just so happened too. Just so happened you were raised in a Christian home. It just so happened you went to vacation Bible school. It just so happened there was an evangelist at the church. It just so happened. It just so happened that the Lord came and got you. That's what it is to be chosen of the Lord. And then there are those mentioned who are especially hard workers. It says Mary and Persis who are said to have worked hard. These ladies were leaders. I know that a lot of people will say, I work hard, but I'm not a leader. Baloney is what I say to you. That's a good Greek word, isn't it? I, don't, I made it up. But anyway, yes, you are. Yes, you are a leader. You're leading others to do just as you do. Some people say, I can't make disciples. I can't make disciples because I'm not a teacher. But I'll tell you this. You will win more people to Christ and have more disciples if you are a person that actually follows what the Lord tells you to do than simply being a person who teaches what the Lord tells you to do. Because if your teaching doesn't match your doing, then you're not going to be making disciples. And if your doing is significant, you're going to find that you're going to be making disciples. For if you follow the Lord and you are a hard worker, you will make disciples. That is going to happen. So I look at that group in the Roman church. That's, a, that's quite a group, isn't it? You know what I want? I want that group here. I want that group here. I want us to be that church, just like that. And here's what I'd ask you. Would you like to be a part of that group?